This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Deep South Dining. It's Monday morning, and Carol, you know what that means on MPB Think Radio. Well, it means today, Merry Christmas, Malcolm. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you and yours. And Merry Christmas to Java. That's right. My granddaughter, Wren, asked me this morning, how many days before Christmas, Bob? We had to count them down. We count them down every morning. And so, and so how old is Wren? Wren's four. Oh, so this will be a big Christmas. Big, big, big Christmas. She, uh, she's very jazzed about it. In fact, what we've been doing uh, this weekend, she's been staying over um, this week while her younger one-year-old brother is relearning how to sleep. So we've had Wren several nights. But what we she's gotten into is making soup. So we have made various pots of soup. We made um, a raspberry, strawberry, and blueberry soup with mint from her garden uh, day before yesterday. And then yesterday, we actually made a vegetable soup. Uh, And one of the ingredients I used was the, um, the community organizer that you left on my steps to go in that soup, which really gave it a nice edge. Well, I'm looking forward to talking more about the community organizer with Vivian Howard. It's one of her her flavor profiles, and it, you know, made a vat. And I was glad to be able to share that with you because I knew you would have lots of different ways to use it. And you sent that article to Java and me this week uh, from Bon Appetit about soup. Now, everybody's thinking soup right now. Yeah, yeah soup. Well, it's that time of year course we love soup at our house anyway but yeah we have a, a full pot of vegetable soup uh upstairs right now that we will be enjoying that Ren mostly uh prepared herself um and so that's exciting and and the other application uh that i have used this weekend for the community organizer from vivian howard that you prepared and left on my front door steps is i added it to a pasta sauce that uh we had for dinner the other night and, 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 you know, reading from Vivian's book, it absolutely does uh, what is promised. It really rounds out sauces and pots of peas and soups, just a wonderful, wonderful addition. And I don't know how hard it was to prepare, but it sure has been easy to use. Well, I bet it has. And we'll talk more with her about that, but I've been, I've had my stew pot out this week Mm. and uh, you know, soups and stews are, our cousins, uh, the real difference is that stews use less water, you know, just barely cover the meat and the vegetables mm. and, you know, put a lid on it and let it low simmer. But I made a quail stew 
I know John loves quail. Oh, he does. He does. My charge from John this week was to clean out the freezer because so much stuff is coming in. So I've been doing that. I also made fish stew with leftover fillets, all sorts of leftover fillets. When you just had a little bit left here and there, I freeze them and keep them in a bag. So um, the quail stew was great. I have to admit, It, it cooked for about... Three hours, as low as the stove could could possibly go. But making quail stew is a real act of love because pulling that quail off the bone. Mm. That's, is, that's not it, much feet there. It, there is not. You've you got to go for it. you got, you got to be in love or dedicated to the process to pick quail for soup. Go ahead on. And Karen. I have to say that I was I'm both in love and dedicated. <laughs> Uh, now, when you talk about the difference between stew and soup, where does the beef bouguillon fall into that category? Because uh, because of your uh, example of, of cooking that famous French dish last week and posting it on cooking and coping and starting a large-scale conversation about the dish, uh, Kara has decided that that's what we're having for Christmas. Well, it'll be delicious. At beef Bourguignon is a stew. You were, yeah, you were, uh, it, the only difference in beef bourguignon and beef stew is that the beef bourguignon is cooked down in wine. And then you use, you know, cognac or something, just a little tiny bit to flame to intensify those flavors. But it's, it's just a fancy beef stew. And mm-hmm. I'm glad she's doing it. And I've loved the conversation on cooking and coping. Uh, which for those who are just tuning in, it's our Facebook page, and uh, we hope you'll join us. We have 3,000 people out there cooking or or watching, but Mm. I bet I've seen 15 beef bourguignons on there this week. Yeah, so uh, we'd love to have you join. It's really simple. You just go to the site and uh, click on and become one of our friends on uh, cooking and coping, and it's a complimentary piece to this show, to um, to Deep South Dining, and we really enjoy having uh, you know both outlets of the radio show every Monday morning at nine, and also the all day, every day, twenty four seven life uh, of the of the Facebook page. So, Carol, tell me about your Christmas gathering. I know with COVID, uh, it's going to be a much smaller crowd over here uh, at the White House. What about you? Well, ours is going to be a very small uh, crowd out in the country, but uh, I'm I'm already getting ready. I love Christmas morning breakfast or brunch, and it, you know it's not a hard meal to do. To me, it's it's my version of a happy meal. Oh. I'm gonna get those cheese grits going, and um, you know tr- traditionally my family eats quail covered with bacon wrapped in bacon. Uh, and Ooh, on Christmas morning, more quail. grilled. Yeah, yeah. If I can come up with some quail, but um, I'm going to do, you know, some smothered venison. I'm going to do, uh, you know, a fruit like maybe a hot fruit, uh, deer sausage, Benton's bacon, mm. cinnamon rolls. It's going to be fine. How about you? Well, you know, I made a big vat of. Uh, cream grits uh a day or so ago so i've still got that but you know i've i'm blessed with with great friends and uh kringles 
the pastry from uh, Wisconsin have been arriving on my doorstep as well as community organizer. So we're going to have Kringles. We got Kringles and Kringles. We've got almond. We've got um, apple. We got apple cinnamon. We got, uh, we've already eaten the cherry. It's gone. Well, I'm glad that, uh, that Kara likes Kringles because that's a tradition that goes way back for the two of us. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know what a Kringle is, it is a Danish pastry. It's shaped, it's a big oval and it's very, very flat. And it was originally made by German bakers in Austria who have this very unique method of rolling butter between layers of mm-hmm. dough. And they are absolutely delicious. Well, we love it and we appreciate it. We got a caller. We got Joby from Bahalia on the phone. Hey, Joby, what's going on? Hey, uh, y'all mentioned some time ago about bacon and ham that you ordered for, I think it was from Kentucky. Do you remember it, that? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. From Madisonville, Tennessee. And Madisonville, Kentucky. And it's Benton's Bacon, B as a boy, E-N-T-O-N apostrophe S. And it is, I think, yeah, the best bacon out there. Benson. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. I, I've been wanting to order it, and I was driving, and I didn't write that down. And um, so we're just throwing a little ad out for Benton because... Well, that's good. You can order it online, but also you can call them, and they still have an old rotary dial phone. So if you get a busy <laughs> signal, keep trying. That's right. Okay. Keep calling back. Well, Jody, thanks for listening, and thanks for calling this morning on Deep South Dining. We, uh, we were talking about a lot of stuff, Christmas dinner and also Christmas breakfast and ideas that are quick and easy, no fuss for Christmas breakfast. We we haven't met yet mentioned, but the breakfast casserole is a good one, as well as the sticky bun, and, and I brought up the Kringles. Uh, and what else, Carol? What are you doing for breakfast? Well, I'm doing uh, two different quiches, and the reason I'm doing them is because I, too, have some friends, and they gave them to me. Oh, so that's going to be my, my egg dish. But, you know, egg casserole is a great Christmas morning dish. Um, you know, it can be made a day or two ahead and brought out of the refrigerator that morning. Uh, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Got another caller on the line, Larry from Hazelhurst. Hey, Larry, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine, but I do have a chronic problem with triglycerides and I'm told not to eat processed meat. Now, what is it about ham turned into bacon and sausage that makes it bad for you? Hmm. Now that's an interesting question. Go ahead. What does process mean? You know, I I don't feel qualified to answer that. I, I uh, Malcolm, what do you say? Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I eat it uh, like it's going out of style. But Southern Remedy, the show that comes on at uh, eleven, I believe, Job, is that right? I tell you what, if you wouldn't mind, Larry, call back uh, at eleven. And, and talk to the pros from the medical field uh, at 11 o'clock on Southern Remedy, and they'll tell you exactly what that's all about. We're just about eating and 
having a big time at the table. But we do appreciate you listening, and we very much appreciate your call. We're going to take a break, but before we go, I just wanted to nod my hat to the passing, the sad passing of a 157-year-old iconic San Francisco restaurant that has a breathtaking ocean view, and it was enjoyed by millions of people, including Mark Twain. This week they announced that they would be forced to close by the end of the year. And uh, that that's a sad set. And it's called the uh, Cliff House. The Carol, Cliff have you ever House. eaten at oh, the Cliff House? Oh, yeah. It's one of the most iconic sites in San Francisco. Most iconic buildings looking out over the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. So, so another rest. Yeah, another restaurant joins the long list uh, that the pandemic uh, is claiming from us. All right, it's time for a break. We return. We'll talk more about Christmas meals and New Year's Day meals, traditions uh, and ideas that are worth following. So stay tuned. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett right here where... We have a show all about the culture of Southern flavor and also the celebration of holidays and memorable times in life where you gather around the table and break bread. This year, we're at this moment, this day, we're talking, of course, about Christmas meals and Christmas traditions as well as New Year's because it follows right on the heels uh, of Christmas. So it's a double whammy here at the end uh, of the year. So there are some um, great New Year's resolutions out there. People always do that. Uh, some of the great and popular food resolutions that I've seen posted are for people to consider buying a new vegetable every week. Carol? I think that's a great a great idea. Yeah, there's so many wonderful uh, vegetables that we don't use in our, our everyday life all the time. I, I know about some fennel, which is, you know, technically uh, an onion a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. It just looked so beautiful, you know, sitting on the shelf. And I said, oh, yeah, I don't use this very often. So did it with some scrambled eggs and it was delicious. Doesn't fennel sort of have a licorice? It does. It does. It, licorice with eggs. I don't know, Java. What do you think? It, it was, it's, I sauteed it. I sauteed uh-huh. it like, and then made, you know, like an omelet with it. Believe okay. me, it was it was delicious. It's and all kinds of greens out there right now. Not only just, you know, collard greens and turnip greens and mustard greens, but Swiss chard, uh, big bunches of kale. There were some Japanese greens in the Goodness. grocery store. Yeah. I think that's a great, uh, great New Year's re- resolution. Another one I've seen is try a new cuisine every month. Uh, in an attempt to break eating routines. That that sounds really interesting. might take a little more effort, a little more thought, but, you know, explore a new cuisine once a month. And being in a rural state like Mississippi, everybody doesn't have access to, you know, Thai restaurants, Chinese restaurants, 
uh, you know, Indian restaurants, but there are so many great recipes on the internet. Um, there's so many wonderful sauces. I think I've, I've mentioned uh, on this show before, there, there are new lines of Indian sauces in all the grocery stores. And you can take just an ordinary piece of chicken or beef or fish or shrimp, which I do often, and simmer it just, you know, in a one or two quart saucepan and put it over rice. And you have a different cuisine. Well, Kara tried something new last night. She took an ordinary pork tenderloin, well, actually two of them, and she marinated them in a peach, mango, apricot, orange uh, mixture, uh, like a preserve mixture, and let them sit in that uh, for a couple of hours and then broiled them in the oven at a very high temperature and sort of charred uh, that fruit mixture. And it made a wonderful sauce. At first, it was kind of frightening because it was very dark, but man, was it good. And those fruits uh, merged with that pork, and it was just delicious. Now, I don't know what cuisine that is, but it sure was a good entree last night. It sounds like Gillespie Street cuisine. Mm -hmm. Sounds delicious. I did a pork tenderloin, too, and I marinated mine in hoisin sauce, which is kind of, you know, Chinese ketchup. It's a deep, rich a little bit sweet flavor with, uh, okay, I cut the hoisin sauce with a little bit of soy sauce and, you know, put it in a plastic bag and marinated it for four or five hours and then, you know, put it at the oven hot like Kara did at about 500 for maybe 10, 12 minutes. Yeah. Kind of looked at it, turned it. Yeah. And she, um, she kept checking it with the meat thermometer to make sure yeah. that it didn't overcook. But it, it was quite good. Now, another one that you hear a lot about that I think is fascinating is participate in Meatless Mondays. And you, you know a lot about this Meatless Monday concept. Well, you know, Meatless Mondays, it's a, it's a very recent in the past, you know, 10 years, a global campaign that's aimed at lowering our overall meat consumption. And this is both for health reasons and for the environment. And a lot of people know about it. A lot of people participated it, participate in it. But the interesting thing to me is this actually started back in World War One, mm. when we were trying to ration food and uh, feed the troops instead of ourselves. They actually had meatless Tuesdays and wheatless Wednesdays. Oh. And the the idea of the wheatless is has gone by the wayside, but uh, this is a revival of that idea. And there was a a slogan back then that flavor will win the war. And uh, that, that was pushed out to the citizens to get them to cut back on meat, fat, sugar, and wheat uh, to help the troops. Yeah, much like the new war that we are engaged in with the coronavirus, and we are encouraged to wear a mask, wash our hands regularly and often, and to social distance in order to defeat uh, the coronavirus uh, along with the vaccine. So, you know, this is how we roll as Americans. We work together. That that campaign back then in 1917 with hotels and restaurants managed to save 100 tons of meat. Mm. 
Isn't that something? Wow. But then you lead me to talk about one of my New Year's resolutions, and I hope a lot of people will join me, and that is buying gift certificates from our favorite restaurants. You know, for those of us who are having to quarantine, um, you know, go into restaurants right now, it's a problem. For other people, it's not. But giving a gift of a future restaurant meal for your friends and neighbors helps our friends in the restaurant business. Absolutely. And we want to support local and eat local. And we appreciate the plug for the local restaurant, small businesses. Now, last year, Carol, your resolution was to work on your biscuit making. Did you make any progress over the year? I did. I made a lot of progress. I had some breakthroughs thanks to YouTube and watching Natalie Dupree. But about the time I was really working on it, the pandemic hit. And do you remember back in March, April, and May, you couldn't get flour? Mm-hmm. Because everybody was at home. Everybody baking. was was baking. So you know, I got I got off into some other things, and I think I will say that preserving, learning to make preserves, was my superpower this year. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna revive the biscuit making. Okay. Well, that's a good one. How Unfortunately, you know, she worked on it a little bit. She made biscuits uh, three or four times this past year, and I don't think she'd ever really made them before. They were great. We, we froze some, put them in the freezer, got them out, used them here, there, and yon. But, you know, it went pretty well. Yeah, I think she, she learned a lot. Now, my resolution for doing more community gatherings and having more friends and family at, in my home around the table, of course, uh, was devastated by the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm going to keep pushing forward and, and, and maybe postpone that one to 2021. I wasn't able to do much in 2020, but who knew in January of last year that we would be having this conversation that uh, not only could we not have more family and community gatherings, but we would be hard-pressed to even have a Christmas dinner uh, at our homes. Well, I'm thinking that towards New Year's Day, we need to bring out all the good luck traditions for 2021 that we have. And I, for one, will be making black-eyed peas. How about you? Yes, we'll be making uh, peas and greens. Uh, I think the peas um, symbolize coins or wealth. Is that right? That's right. And greens resemble money especially folding money i love that folding money folding folding money and then uh you know putting pork in that's a sign of prosperity because in some cultures like in china they say pigs root forward so that's moving forward but all of these good luck traditions uh, we need to bring to the forefront and Carol, you remember all those wonderful New Year's Day dinners that we used to have back in the day when we could gather both oh, at my yeah. house on Manship and down on the coast, we had a few of those. Yes, we did. And Malcolm, I mean, you set a wonderful New Year's table. And then there was always music and even a little traumatic reading. That's right. Brother Bruce Browning, Donnie yeah. Bruce would, would read right. poetry and we would sing and play guitars and eat and drink and take a break and then start all over again. Well, speaking of breaks, it is time for our next break. And when we come back, we will welcome our very special guest, chef, cookbook author, storyteller, Vivian Howard. And she'll talk about her latest book, This Will Make It Good, A New Path to Simple Cooking. Written for the Kitchen Novice, we will break down her book and talk about how she has kept busy 
in and out of the kitchen during the year of 2020. So stay tuned. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Merry Christmas and happy holidays, and welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett here. we got a caller on the line. We have William calling in from Starkville, Mississippi. Hello, William. Uh, good morning. I heard, I just tuned in a few minutes ago and overheard the end of a conversation about some Danish strudel or, Danish, or oval Danish. Uh, it was a... Yeah. Uh, that's a Kringle. Carol, tell us once more about the Kringle, the tradition oh, and the dish itself. I've got a question. I, yeah. On the strength of that, I wanted to find out if, if you or, or anybody knows what an able skeever is or what it makes. I had an able skeever that is Scandinavian, and it was... Yeah. An able skeever. Well, luckily... I know know just enough to be dangerous because I owned a gourmet store for 30-something years called the Everyday Gourmet, which still thrives in Jackson. And we actually sold Abel Skeever pans. And it's a cast iron pan with cup indentions, uh, round, uh, round, round indentions, and it's for a Scandinavian pancake so uh the people in racing wisconsin where kringles come from i bet they're home right now making um able skivers too and racing is is they call themselves the danish capital of the world so i bet your pan is cast iron is it it was cast iron. I think it had a. I know it had a glaze on it, and I can't. I can't find it. But I had. I had made a note in the back of a dictionary, of words that weren't in the dictionary. And I just looked it up. Thought that you could tell me what it was. I gave it away sometime. Uh, I think I gave it away sometime because it's not where it always hung. <laughs> but uh, you've solved a lifelong mystery. It's. It's uh, 50 years old. I'm going to guess. But, my mystery uh, understanding or discovering this thing and i don't have any idea of where it came from or who gave it to me somebody gave it to me and i saved it and one day 10 years ago found somebody that might uh, have known something about it well let, let me just um say that the reason it's not in the dictionary for you is probably because of the way you're spelling it it's it's a e and not a b it's a e b so there you go. All right. Well, William, thanks so much for listening and for calling this morning. And uh, we appreciate you listening to Deep South Dining. <clears throat> Carol, we have a very special guest this morning. We do indeed. We have Vivian Howard with, with us. Uh, Vivian was on the show back in April when her new television show 
was premiering on public broadcasting, and she was one of our favorite guests of the year. And when her new cookbook came out, Malcolm and I jumped right on this, and we knew that uh, you know Christmas was coming up. People were looking for Christmas presents, and so I bring Vivian Howard, who is an author, a chef, a mom, a restaurateur, and a television personality, and the author of the new cookbook, This Will Make It Taste Good. Welcome, Vivian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank God I didn't have to answer that Abel Skeever question. <laughs> you thought we were going to put you on the spot, didn't you? I was glad I hadn't been introduced yet. <laughs> Vivian, this cookbook is absolutely divine. It, it, is, it has so much personality to it. It is such a departure from Deep Run Roots, which is you know one of my very favorite cookbooks. So talk Talk to us a little bit about how this how this came to you. Um, well, you know, I uh, I always wanted to be a writer. You know, that's actually how I got into cooking um, as a means to translate my experience working in a kitchen into a career in food writing. And so, you know, I took a very long path to that place. And with my first book, you know, I wrote this very um, long love letter to Eastern North Carolina and really the food of the rural agrarian South. And it was very, um, you know, the part that I loved about writing that book was really uh, the fact that it felt like a, um, a historical text in some ways. And the other part I really loved was the um, the essays and the storytelling element of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there's so much, so I think Deep Run Roots represents the food of Eastern North Carolina, and this will make it taste good, represents the food that I cook um, in my everyday life, and also it represents my my own personal um, personality. I think, you know, if you read the book, you see that it's very quick-witted, and I think it's funny, and um, I got to really play with language and creativity and giving all the recipes, um, you know, really novel names that speak to what they do and how they function rather than just what they're made up of. And so, you know, I think this is a really personal uh, book. Well, the notes that I made, I have little post-it notes on the book, and my notes say beautiful, fun, exudes personality. Um, so I, I think you hit all of your goals. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I think that you pointed out how beautiful the book is. You know, that's something that I learned um, in the making of Deep Run Roots. Like I thought that I was just writing the book and turning it in and then somebody else took care of all the aesthetics and the rest of the package. But obviously that's not the case. So I learned so much in that in that experience, and this time was able to apply it and worked really closely with um, the photographer Baxter Miller to turn out what I think are really beautiful images that kind of encapsulate my personality and personal style, if you will. Yeah, well, Deep Run Roots is so um, agrarian looking. I mean, you're the, you know, the lovely farm person and this is the only, the word I came up with with the cover of this one is, is sassy <laughs> very it's very sassy you know as opposed to the earth colors of deep run roots 
you have on bright red shoes, <laughs> you know, against a turquoise wall. And that, that sets the stage for what is to come. And uh, before I turn it over to Malcolm here, who was your fashion stylist? I mean, this, this is like reading a fashion magazine. I mean, yeah. a, a fashion magazine. Uh, well, you know, so there's 10 chapters in the book, and every chapter is about a flavor hero. And they have names like Little Green Dress or Community Organizer or Sweet Potential or R-Rated Onions. And so... I wanted to tell the story of those flavor heroes in a visual way as well. So there's a portrait at the beginning of every chapter where I am personifying the characteristics of this flavor hero. And that sounds insane and unlike any cookbook you've ever seen because it is. Um, and we had this, uh, this high fashion boutique out of Charlotte called uh, Capital. Um, they came and styled all of those looks. And I felt like, um, first of all, I felt very strange doing it, but it is the type of thing that you can get very comfortable with very quickly. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, the heroes are fantastic idea, and I just loved it. Carol made the community organizer this week and brought over a couple of batches for me. And before you came on, I was talking about how the ways in which I use community organizer, one was I added it to a pasta sauce that just really changed the whole uh, s sort of uh, temper of the whole piece and really uh, made it flavorful and delicious and deeper. And then the second thing I did was I added it to a soup that my four-year-old uh, granddaughter and I made yesterday. It was a vegetable soup, and we added community organizer to that. And that really changed the overall uh, perception of it and made it just a wonderful, wonderful uh, fine soup that started out very humbly. But the thing I wanted to, to, to say is uh, I appreciate and really enjoyed the essay, The Hero That Saved Me. I mean, people see you on television. They see your books. They think you have this idyllic life your husband and you have restaurants and you write books and you have children and everything is glorious, but you were very honest, uh, in the hero that saved me. And I wonder if you just touch on that a minute. It was very moving and very helpful for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I, uh, the hero that saved me is the opening for the little green dress chapter and little green dress is, um, uh, kind of like a cross between a chimichurri and a salsa verde. And I, it's called Little Green Dress because it goes well with everything. And um, when I was writing this book, it was at the kind of the end of a chef's life, uh, the beginning of Somewhere South. Um, I had been out of my restaurant's daily uh, runnings for several years. Um, I had... Um, I had... I was coming out of several professional relationships that were both personal and professional and really, really toxic. And it just felt like everything was uh, falling apart. And then uh, COVID happened and I had to furlough, you know, 160 people. Um, and everything was just uh, kind of a nightmare. And 
I, I've always um, dealt with stress by kind of throwing myself into my work and I didn't really know where to look and really writing this book and finishing it and the like short deadline that I was on really gave me something to focus on. And I woke up every morning uh, at 5 a.m. and wrote until 7 until my kids woke up in a dark house. And um, I've never done that type of thing before. Um, and so in that way, the book was saving me. It was giving me a way to move forward. And then, you know, a little further on into COVID, uh, we started selling um, the condiments in the book, the Flavor Heroes, Little Green Dress and Community Organizer. And we did the quarantine kits. And um, and so in that way, it very much saved uh, me and provided revenue for us to keep the lights on and to keep a few people employed. And, and so, you know, this book and the heroes in it, you know, are, are so much more than just ingredients and recipes. They really have been the driving force that has, has pushed me along this last year. And, um, so they're heroes in, in a number of ways. That's wonderful. Um, we're mentioning the community organizer, and you've mentioned Little Green Dress, but it, tell us the ingredients in the community organizer. When you know, Malcolm's talking about what, what he did with it, um, I'd like our listeners to know the sense of that, in, that ingredient. Yes. Yeah, so community organizer, I explain as kind of like a Southern sofrito. And, you know, a lot of people may not know what a sofrito is, but essentially it's a flavor base used in, um, you know, every, every country that's ever been touched by Spain. Um, and it is, my version is stewed, uh, onions and tomatoes and bell peppers and garlic and dark brown sugar and uh, cider vinegar. So what you end up with is something that is deeply flavorful with acid and sugar, which I think gives it that kind of southern. We always put a little pinch of sugar in things. Um, and so it's this round this round ingredient that brings things together and highlights the best in other ingredients. You know, as he was talking about the soup they made, I'm like, yes, yes. You know, it's the, <laughs> it's the thing that you can add to something that is just fine and really take it over the edge. And the way that I, that community organizer came to be um, is like six or so years ago, someone gave me a gift, a, a jar of something called pea helper. And, <laughs> And it was just after a chef's life had started and people, you know, all around the country were seeing, oh, Vivian loves canned stuff. So they were sending me canned stuff. And this was pea helper. There was no list of ingredients. There was just a note like, my family loves pea helper, add it to a pot of peas. And I'm like, okay, I should be scared of this, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, and so um, I, I stewed some black eyed peas and added a couple spoonfuls right at the end and stewed a, you know, a couple minutes more, and it just elevated that pot of peas to something that you would actually get excited about. And so I went about kind of trying to figure out what was in this jar. Thank God I didn't use the whole jar on that one pot. And um, so kind of developed my own recipe based on what I tasted and what I could see. And so I knew I needed to change the name because Pea Helper really does not have a ring to it. Uh, well, I was excited about the Pea Helper. Yeah, I, that, I've got a, 
Go ahead. I got a freezer full of uh, lady peas and butter beans that I saved over from speckled butter beans from from the harvest. I can't wait to get them out and and add a little bit of the organizer, the pea helper to them. You know, it's sort of like uh, an in-process chutney. You know, I like to add chutney and green tomato relish on the side of peas and tomatoes when I'm eating them but this way you get to immerse it into the pot with the peas and it just sounds exciting and i am for one am very excited about doing it well yeah, you know I, I just sorry to interrupt one but i just wanted to add to something you said yeah you mentioned green tomato relish um or chutney and you know really what this whole book is about is cooking with condiments you know, I, I provide 10 condiments that I, you know, have recipes for that I use endlessly. And yeah, you're right. We often put the condiment on top or on the side, but this really shows you how to incorporate condiments into your cooking, layer those flavors. So you end up with something that, you know, doesn't even need something extra. Um, yes. So I just wanted to, to touch on and, that. And Carol and I have joked for years as friends, that we never met a condiment that we didn't like. <laughs> and just so our listeners will know, these flavor heroes, the recipe for the flavor heroes makes a large batch. And, you know, I was able to put put back three or four jars of community organizer for myself and, and send some to Malcolm. And one of the things that interested me that you said, Vivian, you said, I'm at my most creative when my purpose meets constraint. And we are a very rural state, you know, like like where you, where you live. And many of us are miles and miles and miles from a grocery store or a good grocery store. And... Uh, Things like these flavor heroes can do a lot to uh, you know, perk up some pretty bland cooking. Absolutely. You know, my, my goal for uh, this book and, and probably every book that I write moving forward is for people to be able to shop for almost everything in the book at the most basic Walmart in the country. Uh, because that's where I live, and I, I hate opening up cookbooks and seeing that, you know, I can't make two-thirds of the recipes because I don't have access to the ingredients. And so um, the other thing that I'm struck by is when I do go to cities where they're, like, you know, beautiful big grocery stores, they have a lot more of the things, like, I've taught you to make in this book. You know, the condiment selection is endless. So, you know, this book really empowers people who live in rural areas to be able to make very um, flavorful uh, ingredients, if you will, um, to make, you know, cooking anywhere uh, more exciting. And you're right, Carol, the Flavor Hero recipes make pretty large batches but most all of these are full of acid or full of sugar and they will keep in your refrigerator. Not, you know, you don't have to can anything. They'll keep in your refrigerator for months. Um, and in the case of like the R rated onions, which are deeply caramelized <laughs> onions, uh, I like to put those in a little ice cream, ice cube tray and store them in the freezer. So I teach you to make a big batch because I think if you're going to the trouble to make something that is so useful, you should make more than what you can use in one meal. And they make great gifts too. Well, I took your advice. You said start with one. 
and you know play with it and i'm gonna i'm gonna do little green dress and the herb one this week but uh, malcolm and i have been cooking together for so many years and we're very different kind of cooks malcolm is intuitive and free form and has just great flavor memory in his head yeah you know, i wasn't blessed with that so i'm a recipe cook and i picked community organizer first because the picture of the spatchcocked chicken in the big cast iron skillet with rice was so appealing to me. So that was that was my first outing in the cookbook. And yeah, how did you, it turn out? It was wonderful. You know, I, I always seemed to have a brown rice problem. I didn't get my rice perfect, but the flavor of that was phenomenal. Uh, and I posted a picture on our Cooking and Coping Facebook site. Um, and if listeners will visualize, you know, a spatchcock chicken is folded out. It's floating on this beautiful bed of sauce. And then it's covered with, with bacon. It looked like all its private parts were covered with, with bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and halfway through, he said to take the, the bacon off. And I loved it. She said, because the bacon had given all it had <laughs> at that to the flavor and then use I used the ba- the crisp bacon in a salad but it is a wonderful recipe yes you know that um what happens there is like the community organizer gets mixed with the rice and a little bit of liquid and the chicken, the raw chicken goes on top of that and the bacon goes on top of the raw chicken and um and as the bacon renders and it mixes with the juice from the chicken rendering, I mean, it, the flavor is amazing. Um, and that's one of the things that you'll see over and over in the book is me cooking a chicken on top of something. Yes. Uh, because I really like to try to provide recipes that require very few pots and pans. And so if you cook a chicken on top of something, you're using everything that chicken has to make dinner delicious. Um, I, I'm, we should never roast chicken without something underneath it because we're, we're wasting so mm. much flavor and moisture and um, we're not getting everything the chicken has to offer. Uh, that, is, that is a great tip. And, and just quickly tell us, because many of our listeners live in rural areas where you can't go. Now you get spatchcock chicken in the grocery store, tell them how to spatchcock a chicken. So basically, um, you know, you want to buy a three to four pound chicken um, and get yourself some kitchen shears or just a relatively sharp knife. And all you got to do is cut on either side of the backbone of the chicken. So just go straight down the back of the rib cage, cut the spine out, and then you'll see your chicken kind of naturally wants to open up. And what I like to do is turn the chicken over so the breast is facing me and I press down on that breastbone like I'm trying to give it CPR and break it. And then it's like it, it is it is as the word sounds. It's spatchcocked. It's wide open. And I love to do that with a, a whole chicken because it cooks faster and it cooks more evenly. And sadly, we only have a minute or so left, but I did want you to just touch on the no brainer suggestions that you make as well as that beautiful pep talk in the front of the book yeah you know i um i i'm i want people to cook uh more 
using their t- intuition than, than recipes. Carol, I love you, but I've got goals for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the no brainers are in every chapter and they're just really quick recommendations of how to use the, the flavor heroes, you know, little green dress. I'd say drizzle it on a baked potato with Parmesan and additional olive oil, put it on a hard boiled egg, stir it into potato soup. Um, you know, like things that are not recipes, but things that we're all cooking um, or eating on the fly and the no-brainers are ways to add the flavor heroes in a quick way and make everything more exciting. And the pep talk is basically my introduction. Um, And it's like a pep talk to get you ready to do this because I am proposing a new way to approach cooking in your kitchen. And so I'm there with you all the way through it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Vivian, for joining us today. We'll have to have you back, of course, and we won't wait for the next book or the next TV show. We'll just invite you back because we could talk to you uh, for the entire show. Thanks so much. And remember, for gift giving, Vivian, both of her books are available, and she's on the television all the time. Vivian Howard, thank you so much. Thank you all. Thank you all. Merry Christmas, Vivian. Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you so much. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners just like yourself. Our show is produced by the one and only Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, for our special guest, Vivian Howard, I'm Malcolm White. And now please stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. Next Monday, we'll be taking off some time for the holidays, but we will talk to you again in 2021 right here on MPB Think Radio.